Hey there, everybody. We're back with the Everybody Counts podcast. We're going to talk about season seven of Bosch, episode six, titled The Greater Good. Yeah, I see. Yeah, we have mm-hmm. a lot to say about that, mm-hmm. that, that greater good. That's a, that's a hot topic. But uh, Pete's here with us again. What's up? And just heard Jay. Hello. <laughs> Sounds a little different. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we're excited about talking about this episode. And another really cool thing about this episode of the podcast, we have the director of episode six in our debrief interview, Patrick Cady. And we've heard from him two or three times on the podcast. And he always gives such great details and background information on scenes. So I think you're going to really enjoy that. Now, with that said, Patrick directed four of the eight episodes this season. So he will not be talking just about this episode. If for any reason you don't want spoilers beyond episode six, hold off on his interview until you've seen the full season. But I had a lot of fun talking to him and I think you will enjoy what he had to share. So we'll start out with our case review and then move into some of our other segments, get some trivia with Officer Pete and just run down everything and see what we think about the episode. So I'll just ask real quick before we yeah. even start the review. Did you guys focus on the credits and write down some things for I, trivia or no? I just thought about that because I've thought about it all day. I need to look at the credits before we podcast again. And then I rewatched the episode and did not stay for the credits. But I think it's that thing on Amazon where it jumps right to the next episode. So that kind of threw me. But so I, I memorized the credits of all episodes from every <laughs> season. I got it all down. You got, I got it, all, it down. all down. I have been, I was watching the credits this year though, initially, because you can find some good little nuggets there. So maybe, maybe I'll have a chance. Who knows? I won't count on it, but let's start where in the episode, this gentleman walks off the plane. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. And right away, you know who it is. <laughs> <laughs> a guy walks off the plane. Then you see him in maybe a hotel room. Who's this dude? And he's unzipping his luggage. And then you see the mask. It's the mask, which I can't stand for many reasons, <laughs> but they freak me out, as we've said many times. And he's got the, the guns, the ammunition. This is our gunman. This is the hitman. Definitely a, a creep level already in the yeah, episode. He's a bad dude. Mm-hmm. But what then, a way to start it. Yeah. But then we see him at the Biltmore Bar sitting next to Jay Reason folks. Why is he at the bar? And then he starts talking to Jay Reason. He was thirsty. Even (laughs) killers get thirsty. He wasn't, Jay. He was not thirsty because he did not drink that drink. Remember, he walked away and didn't even drink his beer. His plate looked like he had eaten food, but he had a full beer sitting there. What a waste. They they chat a little bit and just some chit chat about what's your job? What do you do? You know, asked him if he was burning the midnight oil and, you know, folks were saying he'd have a really long night ahead of him. His day was not over. And then the guy just ups and, and leaves. So just kind of suddenly, and he even asked, why didn't you finish your beer? And he's like, you know, got an early start or something like that. Which is well, weird, which is weird because is weird. we know this is the hitman that got called yeah. when he said he got to come back. So we're assuming these guys are friends and this is some right. sort of code. And it right. seems like they don't even know each other. And I'm confused at this yeah, point. It, it was a little confusing. And because we're still trying to connect all the dots. So we're like, yes. wait a minute. We know that's that guy. We know that's folks. Are they just messing around like or do they not know each other? You know, and then it just gets. Are they going to meet again later for business? Like, is this a thing? (laughs) Like, are they in the same hotel? Coincidentally, you know, we won't say anything right now at the bar, but in the meeting later. 
Yeah, secret code. So, well, they <laughs> sure enough, they do meet later because folks is done all his work for the night, I guess, and is wearing his fancy pajamas, walking up the stairs. He sees the light is on in his office. He comes back down and that dude is sitting at his desk. So that's pretty shocking and freaky. And he's like, what do you want? I, I gave all the information that I have. You know, you have everything. And is there a problem? And then the guy, how many shots? One or two? Two, I think. Hitman always do two shots. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Pete. Random fact that I know. It's a something called the kill shot. Watch all the HBO documentaries, people. He shoots him dead and he says, Not anymore. And he doesn't even say it like tough, like not anymore. He says it kind of funny, you know, and that just makes it all the more scary and weird. So that's a shocker. You know, folks are supposed to be involved in putting these hits together. And now he's out, but obviously they were trying to close a loop there. So I liked it. I liked it. it I mean, approved. it was definitely the scene was definitely well done, and it had us on our toes for sure. I just um, have one question. Go ahead. As smart enough as Jay Reason, folks, is you weren't smart enough to figure out that the hitman didn't need nothing from you. So there's only one thing he's there for. Right. <laughs> like he right. could have figured it out yeah. right away and been like, not in the face. That that is a good point. Listeners yeah. out there, listen. If you hire a hitman and you come home and he is in your living room, your kitchen, your bedroom, <laughs> there is no need to say a word. You're dead. That, that, that's your do, tip of the day. Do not inquire further. It will make no matter. Right. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was. So then, you know, we're kind of like blown away with that. And then the next morning, it's not long before we see this guy again. Donna yeah, Sobel good. gets in her car, mm. starts it, looks in her mirror. You know, you always got to look around. And there he is with the mask on, with the creepy mask on. And he tells her, do not turn around. Keep looking forward and you'll be fine. He's pointing the gun at her. She's driving. And so we're like, here he is again already. Now we know Maddie's in danger. We know that she's supposed to testify, give her testimony before the grand jury. So we're back to their house. To Harry and Maddie and Jimmy's there. He's going to go with them. And there's another smoking conversation. <laughs> Pete likes to talk about the smoking conversations. You know, and but he says, it, do you want to smoke? But it's very true. It's it, very it, true. Listen, I'm, yeah. I, I, I watched this scene and this scene really has no importance to the podcast whatsoever, except for us as people and other people out there. Um, I always complain about how I want my TV shows to have realism. Um, I've heard many people who smoke cigarettes that's quit. And yeah. I'll be like, I'll be like, you know, do you ever want a cigarette? They're like all the time. Yeah, yeah. You just won't do it. It's it's a it's a fight. And so yeah. when they when they throw that little the little thing in there and Bosch mm -hmm. answers, it's like you can relate to Bosch so much more as a person and yeah. not a machine or a robot or a stone cold you know cop. He's a he's a person. He's just like us. Yeah. He has feelings, and this proves it because this little jab by the you know by the director, which is genius, because yeah. it makes the show so. Oh, I love it. Is a good line because it does. It makes a lot of sense. It's authentic, but it also kind of makes us giggle a little bit back to the line with Jay Edgar, where he's like, are you, been, are you smoking? I don't smoke. That's not what I said. That's <laughs> funny, too. It's just well, maybe the, the smell of smoke bothered Harry on Jay Edgar yeah, in the car. Yeah. Like, I don't want to smell that. I want one. Like, stop it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So all these little nuances about it. But Maddie comes out and Harry says, hey, we're going to the judge's entrance. We've got some extra security ready to head out. And she kind of pauses and wants to talk to him privately for a second, pulls out the gun. 
And obviously he's surprised, but he's not angry. He's like, you know, obviously we can't do it this way. We can get you a permit and, you know, training, whatever, all that. But you cannot just have this in your purse going through the judge's entrance because yes, indeed, they do have metal detectors. They chat a little bit, make some jokes about Jimmy's driving. She ensures that Harry will be driving to the courthouse and they head on their way with Jerry following behind in his car. So they pull up to the garage give their IDs, their information, they're let through. They're just chit-chatting. They're ready to go on in. Everything's pretty casual. And then Harry notices Judge Sobel's car. They're like, what's the big deal? It's, you know, it's her car. She's the judge. Yeah, but this is not her spot. And not only that, it was a handicap spot. I don't think she uses a handicap spot, but that stood out to Harry. So he says, wait. He slowly approaches the vehicle and sees that she's been shot dead and tells them to run back, go back, go back. And it just, the intensity just goes through the roof at that point. The music starts. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Does anybody else want to talk about sort of the choreography and what happens next there in the garage? Well, Bosch finds, sees the shooter, takes the first shot, which Mm -hmm. I thought was interesting because, you know, it's that line when you're a cop, you're not supposed to take the first shot, I guess, unless you're really feeling danger. But when your daughter's involved, you know, you don't care. You're just guaranteeing that it's safety. It's safety first for your kid. So I understand what happened there. And then did uh, he see him? Did he see him or was he trying to draw him out? No, no Bosch saw him. He did see him. Yeah. Okay. Because they okay. purposely show you him, the the, the mm-hmm. hitman moving from one car to the other, mm-hmm. and then Bosch takes the shot, and mm-hmm. then the hitman takes his shot, and then Robinson is looking for his shot while he's holding Maddie. Maddie's getting scared. The shots all over the place while you see all of a sudden Jay Egger comes out of the back. Now, no one expects Jay Egger to be there at all, which is great. Wait one second. Before you get to Jay Egger, can we talk about Robertson tackling Maddie to save her butt? Yeah, talk about Behind it. the car, man. Uh-huh. Shots yeah. fired, coming right at her. He does that superhero like, oh, tackles her to the ground. The the back windshield thing explodes. Maddie's screaming. People are all checking out. They got their phones recording it. Bosch is still shooting. The bad guy's still shooting. And then comes in Jay Edgar. Go ahead, Pete. Can you do the superhero move again? <laughs> No, I forgot it already. Who Come had on. their phones out recording this? I, I'm, I'm, adding, <laughs> I'm adding to the ambiance, Pete. I was I'm like, is there a trivia it. question tonight that I'm unaware of? <laughs> no, I'm trying, I'm trying to help Patrick Katie so the next time he directs an episode like this, he knows to put in the people recording. The superhero moves, yeah. Yeah, yeah the yeah. superhero. I'll go back and catch it on, on, on my replay. All right, cool. Uh, that, that was a good move, Jay. But yes, and that was a really cool, now, excellent move in the I have a in question for you, too. I have a question yeah. for you, too. Jay Egger comes from the back. The guy has no clue Jay is coming from the back. Right. Do you think Jay Egger purposely shot away from the guy to distract him because he didn't want to kill another person? Or do you think Jay Egger just missed the shot? My husband and I were talking about this, and I assumed that Jay Edgar took a shot near enough to alarm him and make the guy turn around so that Jimmy could take a clear shot. What What are you saying, Pete? Do you think he purposely oh, missed? Listen, okay, just- listen, this is this is what I'm saying for a fact. I know Jay Edgar wouldn't miss the shot because he's the best, okay? Perfect marksman. That's as far as I'm concerned. So if he missed that shot, it was intentional. Mm-hmm. My question was really, he if he could, he, I feel like he could have taken that shot and, and plucked that guy in the back of his head and dropped him. I don't know if it's necessarily a diversion. Maybe he didn't have a clear shot after go rewatch, I guess. Mm-hmm. But Robin didn't look like he it took you know they show you that scene robinson coming up creeping up creeping up that wasn't exactly like oh he's distracted boom 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 robinson had to earn that too you know so i mean you know was the hitman just in the perfect position or did jay Edgar purposely say you know have an idea but maybe he didn't want to be involved in another officer involved shooting so freshly after the last one and then he wasn't even supposed to be there at the court as assigned yeah you're supposed to be off from work but but either way 
it did it did give Jimmy a little split second more of time. Absolutely. I just think he purposely missed the shot because he didn't want to kill the guy for multiple reasons, have it on his conscience, to you know, because even you know, he's battling his own demons right now. Are you agreeing, Jay, or disagreeing with those head movements? No, I, I completely disagree. The problem here is Jay Egger did not go through his remedial training at the academy. <laughs> you were and, there, you would know. <laughs> right. And so he forgot how to shoot. Completely. And, mm. and thank goodness that Robertson was there after saving Maddie, that he saved the day once again. It was like, bang, 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 die, sucker. And then save the day again. I feel like I know who your person of interest is going to be today. I feel like I know what his, I feel like I know what his surprise in two weeks is going to be. He's going to have dinner with Robinson. <laughs> Trying to get a free meal. <laughs> well, either way, they Jerry helps save the day. Robertson comes through. The guy goes down. They walk up to him. Security securing the scene. They see his burner. And what does it say? Is it done or something like that? I think so. Yeah. And then Harry says answer it you know like say it's over now is that legal i don't know i don't think it's legal to text back to the mob boss with the hitman's burner after you shot him in the head for trying to kill you and your daughter i don't know i mean i don't know what do you think jay I say whatever it takes in the investigation. I mean, listen, not, this like, is what I'm going to say. A lot. Yeah. Sorry to cut you off, Jay. A lot of lines will. Uh, this is what I'm going to say. I sorry to cut off Jay. A lot of lines were blurred here, but it's okay because Robinson, Jay Egger, and Boss teamed up for the best scene ever to save Maddie. Mm-hmm. The end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now let's not let's not diminish what Maddie did too. She acted swiftly, smartly, followed directions, stayed down. Let's give her credit as well. What? <laughs> It's not too, Tracy. Anything. But you are reaching here, Tracy. You're reaching. <laughs> not reaching. What, what if she, she had just? What if she had just fell into a puddle on the ground because she was so scared? That no, would have been let, terrible. Let me tell you something right now. If Maddie had done something, she would have taken the gun in her purse all the way to there, had it, give it to Bosch before they walked in, so that way, in case someone ambushed her in the parking garage, she could have pulled out and done some crazy hero move and bang, 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 shot him and showed all the guys how to do it. But instead, she didn't. She chickened out, and good thing Robinson was there to save her. That's all I'm going to say. I hope Madison's listening to the podcast, Jay. Love you, Madison. Sorry about that. (laughs) Come on. you You gotta know that if she just if she just panicked, then she could have been dead, but she didn't panic. I mean, okay, yes, everybody was somewhat panicked, but she she hustled out of there. She followed directions from Robinson. Tracy, she didn't Tracy, just... Tracy, no, if, no, if, if no. you are getting shot at, okay, and yeah. I see you crawling away in between cars to get away from it, I am not going to be like, wow, you were amazing, Tracy. Fantastic <laughs> job crawling away. Like, who does that? Nobody does that. Your husband would not be like, God, Tracy, I'm so proud of you. Where did you learn to crawl away from gunshots like that? That does not happen. Okay. Uh, whatever. Okay. Irv shows up. I appreciate you giving me your credit. I do. I do. <laughs> you know, I, I'm a positive person. All right. Go ahead. Sorry. Bosch tells the chief there's been another officer involved shooting. He tells him it's Bosch. <laughs> 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 That doesn't go over very well with him. They walk on over to the criminal courts building and Irv wants to know what's going on. Is, is this the same guy? And Harry says it looks to be the same. And he, Irv says, well, it seems different, rushed, you know, public place. And 
course, Harry says, well, he didn't, they didn't have much time. You know, Maddie was getting ready to give her testimony. So you know, then Irv starts asking him who else knew about this, you know, trying to narrow down the scope of things. And they think that folks is behind it with Rogers. So they want Pierce and J. Edgar to go get folks. But we know that's not going to happen. But they don't know that. And they do go to his house and find him there. And when, when they report back, they also talk about in his house, I think there were some messages between Rogers and folk, um, some wire transfers, money has changed hands. There were things saying like Franza, Franzen is quote trouble, but quote solvable, you know, all the uh, hallmarks of a hitman arrangement, you know. So they are finding some evidence, even though folks is dead, they do find some other evidence uh, in his house. And meanwhile, Crate and Barrel are still working on trying to close that loop to see who else was involved that could have worked with folks to to make the arrangements. So they're trying to track that down. But I think it was Irv also that asked Harry some questions, you know, again, like I said, about who knew about everything and how it was set up for the day. Actually, I think it was Robinson. Oh, was it? Okay, maybe so. I think okay. he was the one that asked the last series of questions before they shifted the scene. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. To the interrogation room. Well, it, so Harry starts thinking it through. And he thinks of Tegan Boyle. And this scene, I found it to be both satisfying and very disturbing. He walks in and she assumes that she's there to to help. What can I do? You know, and he just plays along with it. And eventually he tells her that butter probably doesn't even melt in her mouth. And she's like, what is that? You know, and he gets into it. He calls her out on what she did working. He said, you know, she was the one that worked with folks to give him the information he would need to give to a hitman. And so it's, I'm glad that Harry, like, like he's really cool about just not showing his cards until it's the right moment. And then he does. So like watching him work that way is cool. But just the idea of this woman doing that and then she talks about how much she got the first time. J. Edgar comes in by this point and asks her how much she, she got the first time for giving folks information. And she's like, what could I, what was I supposed to do? How could I have stopped? And I think even Jerry says, well, or she's like, I didn't even have a choice. How could I have stopped? I would lose everything. And he's like, well, yeah, you, you, you had a choice. So that really makes me crazy. What an awful human being, though. Well, yeah, Seriously. for sure. God, she had this just the most smug look on her face. Like, when she when she drank from that water bottle, yes. and she's about to come clean. She was all like, "I'm somebody, and I'll tell you what I did." And I don't like what. Like, like let me take a moment here. Oh, I've always thought if somebody came to me and like, "Hey, I'll give you twenty thousand dollars if you tell me about so and so," but like to take any amount of money and then finding out like like what she say that the first witness recanted obviously someone did something to that person so yeah, you yeah. know that this twenty thousand dollars that you put in the bank you bought a new car you bought oh. some new dresses you did your hair like that's all the person that somehow got hurt yeah damage in some way but money it's dirty. Oh. It's just but as dirty. but as Tracy would say, she composed herself well. She did a great job. She drank the water like a champion. She was she was on her game. She listened to directions. <laughs> Y'all are the worst. Y'all are uh, the worst. Oh my god, that's, that's point oh, taken, Pete. <laughs> uh, but you know what I'm saying? That scene was yeah. like I like seeing how Harry worked. Oh, that was a great scene so altogether. Yeah. yeah, no, that was a great scene altogether. Bosh. 
even her smugness, Jay mm-hmm. Edgar, the way he came in and just kind of added to it, whatever. But yeah. Well, Harry and Maddie talk about it a little bit later. Maddie wants to know what's going to happen to her. And he talks about all the charges and what could happen to her. Obviously, she will be a little better off if she cooperates, like he said. Maddie also tells her dad that she's sorry about Donna. And they talk about how he realized, or I, I guess in that conversation with Tegan Boyle, you know, she said it was folks' idea, right, to, to use Donna as the judge. Yep. So he, he had, said he didn't, she, he told her that he didn't, he just didn't like her. Pick her. I don't like her. That right. was his that's, reason. Yeah, that's why. Uh, yeah, I think, yeah. Yeah. But then Harry puts it together that folks doesn't like Harry. And so he did it. You know, he t- picked her to, uh, to get back at Harry and that really weighs on him. And he feels like it is his, it is his fault. Maddie says, you know, it's not, but he does feel responsible for that but then they get into some lighter conversation when they have some memory of Eleanor singing to some of the jazz music the Lady Day I think was the song that was playing and they talked about how horrible her singing voice was so it was kind of kind of sweet to see them having at least some lighter moment there and and enjoying a memory about Eleanor instead of just being completely sad about her all right let's talk about Harry getting a visitor at the station they say there's Hector Hernandez at the station to see him. It wasn't a very long talk, but I think it was pretty impactful. The dad. Yeah, the dad's there. And you know, he has all these questions, you know, who's been arrested? You know, well, has Pena been arrested? No. Well, and he says he's the boss. He's the jefe. You know, nothing happens there in that neighborhood without his approval or say so. And, you know, Harry's like, we haven't been able to get to him. So obviously the Hector is highly disappointed about that he's not seeing any justice for his daughter he asked about the rooftop being locked he said is that true that the rooftop door was locked and harry's like yes and he's like well will someone be you know arrested for that and harry points out that they can't prove it that they'll be cited and fined and just hearing him say those words and then hector repeating them back you know I think it, it just really weighs on Harry all the more. This guy's getting nothing. This father has lost his wife and his daughter and nothing seems to be happening yeah. about it. So Harry does give him his card. If you need anything, reach out to me. You, know, you have my number. But it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's sad. It's a tough scene. You really it is. feel it's for a very guy. emotional scene Yeah. for the dad, for Harry, mm-hmm. for the viewer, because, mm-hmm. you know, like it all just kind of sucked. Yeah. We also have a scene with Irving and Agent Brenner. They're out like in a park or somewhere outside uh, talking. Anybody want to run that down? Irv's going to him and asking him to, you know, where, what's the deal with Pedro Alvarez? We need to talk to him. And the truth comes out. The truth comes out. He's a snake. He's been talking to the police. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Brenner is, is not going to make him available. He also wants them to lay off of Pena. He says there's a RICO op, you know, almost coming to closure where they're going to do a bunch of arrests and everything. And Irv learns that Pena is their informant. He's not, yep. you know, just a, a witness. He's an informant and they're going to send him into witness protection afterwards. So they can't even get to Harry's him He's got no case. Yep. It's out he, the he's window. Not, he's not getting anywhere. And, and that's where we get the, of course, the title of the episode, Greater Good. And Brenner says it's, you know, they're seeking the greater good, and that's why they can't give up Alvarez, who would then point the finger at Pena, because they have him for this RICO op. So Irving, uh, you know, he can't do anything about it, but he needs to follow up and kind of, I think they kind of leave it 
in our minds that it, it almost sets up a quid pro quo like okay i need you to do this but if you need something you know let me know mm-hmm. and sure enough irv calls much more quickly than brenner expected and says you know i understand about the the situation with pena but i'd like to see those files on the mayor i know you guys closed the case but i'd like to see those and they're like okay we'll be in touch so there it begins they and then then he denies it completely even talking to Brenner when Harry follows up with him because you know Harry went to his house last week said please intervene on our behalf we need to talk to Pedro Alvarez okay I will Irving tries to do it Irving gets nowhere Irving sees a possibility for a benefit to him goes that route and doesn't even admit to Harry that he even talked to Brenner yet he didn't even tell him at that point that well you know there's some other stuff going on I can't give you all the details but you know I mean he wouldn't admit talking to him at all he just said they were playing phone terrible terrible chief I have my notes here liar that's Tracy's friend (laughs) (laughs) that's Tracy's friend Irvin (laughs) I'm mad at him I'm mad at him now too I'm mad at him too. So yeah, he, Ir- Irv has, has made a decision there. He's kind of self-preservation we, people. We saw him sort of flip over to yeah, self-preservation mode. Jerry, he did get that tracker on the car, Pete, and he gets a ding on his phone and he starts following. And he sees now they you know they don't know this information from Brenner because he Irving won't talk about it. But Jerry's following Pena and he sees him in a parking lot, get out of his car, go with a couple of, they look like feds, they're wearing the suits, follows them. They, then he keeps following, they get in another vehicle and he keeps snapping some photos, keeps following. And as he's trying to, you know, pull through the alley and keep going, another big SUV pulls out, you know, and stops him in his track so he can't follow them. So, you know, they're on to the tracker, they're putting a stop to Edgar following him, but they did, Edgar does send those photos to Harry and they're putting two and two together. So Irving's not talking or telling them, but they're starting to put it together that Pena is somehow working with the feds. So any thoughts on that scene? They just can't have it easy no matter what. No, they're bumping up against all kinds of- You got the tracker working, ready to check some things out and then all of a sudden, what the heck? Yeah. Those darn feds, it's always the feds. Yeah. (laughs) Hashtag, it's always the fence. I mean, I don't think, uh, you know, they put the tracker on. I mean, do you think this is, was even in their possibility of of things they thought they might find with that tracker? I I can't imagine you ever think that that's on the list somewhere, man. Like, and what a, what a way for it to go down to the cloak and dagger sneak you out of there kind of it's like it's kind of like a slap in the face not only yeah. is it like bad news but it really is like a yeah you guys suck too bad slap yeah. you in the face we're out of here yeah yeah it, yeah exactly jerry does talk to harry at towards the end of the episode or maybe at the end at his house he does come to tell him he's sorry you know harry's already thanked him for coming to the rescue and with maddie but he jerry's trying to apologize but you know harry's not going to make it super easy he's kind of like we'll see how it goes kind of thing you know he won't just straight up say we're good we're fine jerry also says that he he admits that he did go to kill avril that he wanted justice and harry asked him if he found it and he said he's not sure so he's uh he's coming like he talked to mama rue last week pete talked about that talked to harry this time and he's not you know he's not completely sure of himself or maybe where he is but he's he's trying to open up about it wouldn't you say he's getting there he's getting there he's got he's got some bridges to unburn and uh, you know amongst the people he works with and himself you know Mm -hmm. like this is i just hope it's 
him really turning the corner because we need him. We well, need he him. turned he turned down the beer. So that's always a good sign because, you know, you would think that after all this, he would have, you know, normally after all this, you know, when you go do this with somebody, you normally have a drink with them. Cheers. Salute. But if you're really trying to, you know, get yourself together and you know that, you know, you've been drinking a little bit too much lately and that's been half of your problem or, you know, whatever percentage of your problem to be able to turn it down, even at a big moment like that, I'm sure that, that went even further with Harry. Mm-hmm. Like Harry knows what's going on. You know, he pays attention. That's, that's a good point. That's a good point that you bring up there. He did he did turn down the, the drink. So we have another person to talk about in the episode. We talk about Billets. What's happening with her in this episode? There's some, some wild stuff going on. She's still trying to fight the good fight with these incels. And, and not only that, he's getting like these, I don't want to say weird requests from Cooper, but like kind of out of the blue requests to go talk. He's to such the, a jerk. To talk to small businesses. Oh, and feel free to wear the uniform. It's just like. It's, oh, it's, it sounded like a downgrade to me as if he yeah. was like, you know, this is, I can't formally punish you, but this is, you know, one of the, one of, the, I, that's what I felt at least. I yeah. was like, okay, so this is like a, you know, you know, you want to ruffle feathers. We're going to ruffle back. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to make our life hard. We're going to make your life hard. Yeah. Which all also brings me to, you know, you know, I mean, we've been we've been pinning Cooper as the bad guy for years. And I got to think he might be one of the leaders of these cells. Well, I think that's what yeah, I think that's what you said. last. Uh, and and to, to have this all, I don't know. It just seems like there's something up with him. They're showing him way too much on the episode on the episodes now. He, you know, he's it's the final season. We all know that they're not going to let Billets lose this battle. I mean, let's get real for a second. You know, even. If you haven't watched seasons episode episode seven and eight, when I was watching episode six along and for the first time, that's the first thing I thought is like, this guy's going down really big in the last episode. I, I don't care what anybody says. There, there's yeah. he's way too much time on TV. He's going down. Well, I know we found a, we spent a fair amount of time last season talking about how he needed to, to get severely punished for his actions. And now he just, you know, the, arc, on. the arc's about to hit and he's about to go down. I hope he goes through a plate glass window. There you go. There you go. Keep that in mind. So he wants her to do this small business outreach thing and she's going to get some of her officers to do it. But like he said, Pete, no, no, no. I want you to do it. You know, she can't, he's not even letting her be the leader and delegate to her, you know, to the officers. She also gets a call from Brasher. Brasher has found a dead fish in her locker with pantyhose shoved up its mouth. Obviously smells really bad. Looks really bad. She calls billets pretty quickly and basically says I-, I can't help you anymore this is coming back on me now and and billets you know being the one that's going forward gonna you know take action on what's happening to her she's like let me help you file a harassment complaint but brasher's like no you know i have to work here just stay out of it don't you know don't call me again one thing i wanted to share about this i was when i was going through the season i thought well you know, it was interesting to see brasher again of course and one thing that jumped out at me is i was kind of surprised that she was still a police officer because you know we met her in season one she had jumped from a law career to being a police officer and already telling right away like in her first year or whatever telling harry that she had aspirations to be a detective you know and it all takes yep. time and i got this you know feeling about her that she just constantly <laughs> maybe wanted to switch to the next thing so brasher yeah i had this feeling about her that she just wasn't maybe likely to stick with with being a patrol officer and, and taking the time and and steps to to pursue being a detective i thought she might not really have the the patience for that uh but sure enough you know she's still there and it's you know six seasons later for us i don't know the exact time frame 
but she's still at it. So I brought this topic up on the Bosch Pit Facebook group, just asking folks what they thought about it. Were they surprised that she was still at it? And we actually got some feedback from Mitzi Roberts, you know, who is the technical consultant on the show. She's an RHD detective and she gave some feedback about how the process works. And so I'm just going to read what she, what she said on her reply. Mitzi says at LAPD, you need to work at least five years in a patrol assignment before you're eligible to promote to detective. You then take a written test and an oral interview, which includes a review of your personnel history, which could obviously impact how well she scores on the interview because of her past. If you score well, you're placed on a promotional list that the department promotes from for two years. In that time, you're either promoted or you quote, die on the list and have to start the process over. So time-wise, Brasher is exactly where she would be realistically. So I thought that was pretty cool that she took the time to share that, but also that it really makes sense with the, with the timeline and what we saw, you know, she, it, it, it wasn't like she hasn't, you know, like she's being punished and she's still in patrol time-wise, she still would pretty much be on patrol, maybe pursuing detective, but it makes sense with, with that's interesting. Of, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know that. That's yeah. interesting. So good information. So yeah, she tells billets don't, Please don't call me again. Don't get me involved in this. Later, we see Anne and Grace having lunch, having a nice lunch. Anne leaves, is driving wherever, and officers pull up. She gets pulled over, and it's Officer Norris and Officer Leonard. Go figure. And she doesn't know why she's being pulled over. They say she rolled a stop sign. Leonard says he smells some alcohol on her breath or asks if that's alcohol he smells on her breath. Um, but she's, she's talking to them, talking to him and responding. Meanwhile, like grabbing her license, but also calling Grace so that it will, she will hear what's going on. Okay. It'll leave a voicemail or whatever, you know, record what's happening. So they just go crazy with, with pulling her over. They get, make her get out of the car, make her start doing the, the test to see if she's inebriated. There, you know, they're making her take steps and walk and count and all this stuff. Grace rolls up and she puts a stop to it. And she makes it very clear. You have a problem with me. Do not get her involved, you know? And so she, she puts a stop to it, but my goodness, what just, what do you want to say about it guys? I would like to put forth a motion. I don't know that I've ever <laughs> put forth a motion on this podcast because usually I just make whatever I want happen. Cause I'm a jerk like that, but I'm going to put forth a motion that I think we should vote on. I, I don't think we should call them Leonard and Norris anymore. I think their name should be Officer Jerkface and Officer Scumbag. Um, can I get a vote on this? Can I get a vote uh, on I this? will second that motion. Thank you. All right, motion passed. Doesn't matter how Pete votes because it's passed. Perfect. You know what? A, God, dude, you, know the, you know what the worst part about it is for me? Yeah. What? The worst part about it is for me is this is TV. It's a it's a fictional show. Blah blah. It's meant to entertain you. It's meant mm-hmm. to keep you enthralled. But this shit happens in real life, man. Yeah. There are people out there that are really like this. Mm-hmm. But, oh God. So you know, I see it on TV, and I know it's not real, but I, God, I just hate those guys. And credit credit to Ann and to Billets for not punching these guys in the dang face man like mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah oh. that, that shows she showed about as much restraint as you possibly could i, I, I just don't think that i would be able to show that kind of i mean maybe yeah. i wouldn't punch him in the face like i'd really want to but i don't think i'd be telling him to knock it off you know mm-hmm. like i i don't know i don't know credit yeah. to billets sorry Ann, you had to be involved in all that <laughs> yeah don't bother Ann. 
keep her out of it. But so that's kind of where we are with with billets. Still, still pretty tough. But we know she's going to keep at it. That's that's the way she is. So we did have several more cameos and callbacks um, in this episode. Uh, at one point in the episode, Chief Irving, um, I think he does get the files from from the FBI, and he passes along to Captain Sarah McCurdy, who has helped him out on multiple occasions with doing some research. One year it was some social media research. You know, next year it was something else. But she's sort of one of his go-to people for investigating everything. Yeah, <laughs> for everything. <laughs> um, so for getting to the bottom of things. So it was good to see her. We saw Agent Sylvia Reese. Because Harry reaches out to her, you know, when, when he can't get anything from Irving, you know, talking to Brenner, and he doesn't know what's going on, why the feds have uh, Pedro Alvarez, he enlists her help in trying to figure out what's going on. They have some kind of fun banter back and forth. I, I like their style of, of working together. So it was really good to see her. Boy, again. is Harry going to be mad when she comes back and tells him that Irv knew about Pena the whole time and made his own deal. Wait till he finds out. Harry's not going to be happy. That's not going to go over well. But she does come back and I think, didn't he show her some of the pictures, I think, that Jerry had taken? And she said maybe she'd recognize some people like from the cafeteria, but they weren't really people she knew. She did a little research, but couldn't get very far. They're like, it's above her pay grade. But I think she talks about some evidence of Pena having other businesses and like maybe he's trying to go straight, get out of the criminal life. Is that right? Yeah, but I don't know if that makes sense at all because didn't um, the FBI guy tell Irvin that he's going into witness protection and he won't be able to be found? Because if you give up, you know, major information, you know, Pena's life will be at stake. He's in danger, so he's going to have to relocate. So what is good on those businesses if he relocates? He wouldn't even have them, right? I guess he's trying to make some legitimate money. Maybe sell the businesses. Yeah, maybe he's been doing that like for the last few years, trying to make legitimate businesses. He's going to sell them all. And maybe the FBI says, you don't get no more businesses. We're going to take them over and you're going to move. Who knows? Yeah, it could could be something like that. But but it's, yeah, it's she she digs up some information on him. And how legitimate could the money really be with what he's been doing? But it seems to be kind of in that direction. Um, So, of course, we talked about seeing Agent Brenner. We saw Shaz, the bartender who Jimmy has had a, you know, I don't know if it's on again, off again, or just on again, on again. <laughs> they have a special, That's his boo. <laughs> a special relationship. They always like seeing one another. So there's another sighting of Shaz, the bartender, and, and just the Biltmore Hotel Bar. You know, we've seen that in multiple occasions. I, so it was kind of fun that they reused that on multiple occasions. I guess the only thing I can think of, June and Irv, they have a, you know, a decent or good visit with the baby at the hospital looks like he'll be able to come home soon so there that was that was a nice scene anything else that we need to talk about before we move on to our other segments um i don't think so pete no okay all right let's move on to the interrogation room pete what's your question for jay and me um so my question this week i decided to go very lighthearted and took a part of the episode and just kind of fantasy fantasy book here you know, no, no wrong answers. Um, during the scene with Bosch and Reese, I felt like there was some chemistry there. Uh-huh. Now we know there's a spinoff coming up. What's your thoughts on a Reese and Bosch, Reese and Bosch relationship in the spinoff? Hmm. Denied. Always... <laughs> that was easy. There's Jay's answer. I've always... Oh, it's good enough for Jay's Harry. <laughs> I've always felt a little chemistry between them too. And I don't know if I'm just happy that they work so well together, that Harry can actually work with somebody in the FBI like productively, if that just makes me happy, 
or if I like the idea of maybe something more romantic. I, I in those things, I kind of worry that if it went romantic, that then it would kind of ruin the you know the working relationship that they have and how cool that is. But I mean, no, I, I definitely think there's a little chemistry. I would be, I would have no problem with her making some appearances and seeing where that might go. I think there's something there. Okay. Denied. Denied. They have a good professional rhythm. That is it. Nothing more. Move on. All right, Jay. What's your question for us? Uh, You know, my question, there there are so many things in this episode that made you feel, made you react, maybe even made you smirk. What what was your favorite part of what favorite scene? What's your favorite scene here? What 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 do you remember the most about this episode? For me, it was the shootout in the garage. And I just I knew Patrick had directed it. I knew I was going to talk to him for an interview. And it just kept I just kept wanting more intel on how they they shot that scene. And I mean, even though you knew she was in danger, something was coming. It just I really liked the way it was choreographed and how Edgar, you know, was a hero, too, and helped. And it was just I thought it was really well done. I mean, definitely high octane scene for sure. Yeah. Bye, you, Pete. Well, my favorite, my favorite scene of this whole episode was the whole episode, and one reason oh, only. You thought it. you all thought you were gonna get away with it, but I like this episode the best because there was no Antonio. Because <laughs> Antonio's gotta go. <laughs> so, okay, so right. you have no I'm, complaints. I'm gonna allow your, your favorite. Yeah, I'm gonna. Allow Obviously, you. the shootout was the big one. Um, I felt personally. That that might have um, could have been easily the end of episode five because it came so early in episode six that everything else after that was just more pieces and you realize that you thought you know after that shootout okay maybe you know what's going to happen next but the cases are almost done now and then you start finding out more pieces and they start throwing you more tidbits and you realize we still got a Bills thing going on we still got Sonia Hernandez going on. You know what I'm saying? There's more things going on. So I felt like it was a good start, an electric start. And that, that, that had to be everybody's favorite part. I mean, come on. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Pete's reasoning. I like it. It's approved. Yeah. I was giving him a cop out first for choosing the whole episode, but his reasoning is good. All right. Well, I know we answered your question, but do you have a, a favorite one you want to share? Jay? You know, mine's a silly one because <clears throat> it's real easy to like the the shootout or 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 like uh the uh interrogation of uh the ad person or whatever Mm -hmm. blah blah blah, or or even jerry coming to terms and admitting what he did but man like i just i I don't know maybe i'll always go back to it and irving in the bosh like i just love that so much and it and like it makes me wonder like when these writers start the season they're like all right what episode do you think we should throw in irving's exasperated bosh somewhere between three and seven and then they're writing it and they're like how about here no it's not good enough yet okay how about this scene no it's not good enough yet how about this one? Oh, that was a really great shootout. Perfect. Let's put it in right there. Yes. Like, I just feel like it's got to be a well, fun process to figure and out. And it has to be Bosch because that officer right. involved shooting was Bosch and Robertson, but he didn't say right. anything about Robertson. <laughs> right. right. It was just right. his exasperation with Bosch. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that was one of our uh, game questions last season. Remember? 
I he tried to get people to guess how many times he would just gosh, you know, under his breath. Oh, and for the record, I just um scrolled through the whole episode. There is no Antonio. What's now I'm even more mad because you know what I just put together in my head, and I think Jay's gonna not like this one that much. Uh-oh. She was shot at, almost killed, and he even shot the controller at all. Yeah, where is he? Where is he to take care of his supposed girlfriend? This guy doesn't care. He's a jerk, just like jerk face and scumbag. I know it. It's the truth. At the hospital, at the children's hospital, saving lives. And you know who would have been there to defend her? Tom. (laughs) Or Pete. Pete would have been there, too. That's right. Anything for Maddie. (laughs) Oh, goodness. All right. Good questions. Let's move on to our persons of interest. Who do you want to highlight from the episode? The one person that I didn't see that I'm most suspicious of every episode Little by little, it's coming together. The mayor, is she involved with folks? Is she not? Is, is she is she behind any of this? What is the investigation that the FBI is holding that Irv is going after that has the mayor involved? And does it have anything to do with any of the cases that we have going on currently? You're right. She's sus. Good point. Good point. You, you've been on that train for, yeah, the whole season. You've been wondering if there's a connection there. So, okay. That's a first. Highlighting someone that was not in the episode. I, I got to give I, you props. I, I like it. I like it. You know what? That's also that's a, also a first that I both my question of person of interest and um my um question to you guys both oh, yeah. involve somebody who was not in the episode that's Antonio right. and the mayor I I'm on fire let's go <laughs> I'm sensing a theme all right Jay who's your person of interest Robertson right. oh, tell me some more listen it comes to one thing if you go back to the shootout right just go back to the shootout the shot that he takes that puts the guy down. Mm-hmm. He's like up against the car, whatever. And he takes the shot and there's this like look of thank God. And he kind of sighs, like uh-huh. it all comes together. Like, Oh God, it's over crisis averted. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. Care. Like that whole like moment. Mm-hmm. I just enjoyed it so much. And he just did it so well. Like you didn't have to do some dramatic acting thing. You didn't have to go do something nuts, whatever. It was just bang shots, taking guys down. Yeah. Oh, it's good. Breathe. You can see it on his face. Breathe. That's all I thought. Breathe. All right. My person. All right. I, I, I had two. Should I tell you two or should I pick one? No, nah, go two. Go two. I want right. two. Okay. So my at first I thought Hector because, it, you know, it was a brief visit with Harry at the station. But I just, as I said before, I think it really affected Harry deeply. Yeah. And he's struggling with this case and not getting access to the suspect that he wants to talk to, not getting access to uh, you know, Pena, anything. And so just having to give Hector, Harry having to give Hector those answers, you know, that, oh, has anyone been arrested? No. Yeah. Does anybody, do you know who locked the door? No. You know, it just, I could just see it on his face and hear it in his responses that this might be sort of a tipping point for Harry too, with this case. He's, you know, we know he's been frustrated. Yeah. And, this Hector highlighted all the things that are bothering Harry about the case. No, that's another a good choice. One, mm-hmm. Another person was Irving because he made a choice and it didn't take him very long. He made a choice to go along with not trying to pursue Pena and ask for the file about the mayor. So, I mean, I don't know how much choice he had as far as the Pena piece, but he definitely took it as an opportunity to ask for the file for the mayor, for his benefit. So just kind of seeing him make that choice was kind of a, I mean, I don't want to say a defining moment, but anyway. It means something. It does mean something. Yes. Mm -hmm. So those were my two. 
I wasn't sure which one to pick. So now we're on to evidence locker. What do we have for the evidence locker? Clues, answers, reveals. We know for sure that Pena is an informant for the FBI in the RICO operation takedown. We know who the guy is in the weird mask. We do know the guy in the weird mask. Yep, we know. We know a lot this episode. We learned a lot because that whole, that that one case, you know, for the most part with, you know, Rogers, folks, and the hitman. Right. We saw, learned about some messages, wire yeah. transfers. We know that they, you know, were putting. They arrested Carl Rogers in the episode. Mm-hmm. He was getting on a plane. They give him a drink. Oh, yeah. And really they pull up and they pull up and he says, you know, you're under arrest. Now, the only question I have there real quick while we're on the subject was, was he going to a business meeting or was he leaving the country because he got information that they were coming for him? And I they just got to him. Leaving. Yeah, I think they was leaving, too. And they got them ahead of time. And they said Marco's already on the plane. Who's Marco? I'm guessing. Maybe Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing maybe that's his significant other or something i don't know I, or you're someone he's in business with or someone he's in a relationship with that's the only impression i got but yeah because i think it was like or his bodyguard was, private security could be someone that was important to him that he wouldn't want to leave without that person and the pilot was checking the plane so because the pilot was doing his last minute checks he was stuck at the airport and Bosch got to him yeah yep yep and so we yeah we didn't really talk about that scene with uh, Rogers being arrested. They got the warrant from the judge who knew Donna, and since Donna liked Harry, they keep that bode well for him. Well, Harry anytime a warrant. judge gets, anytime a judge gets murdered, and they have an idea who did it, they're gonna yeah. get the paperwork cleared. I mean, well, it doesn't matter if she liked Harry or not. She could have hated Harry. I mean, like, he's the worst guy in the world. When he went in there and said, "I got a chance to arrest the person who did this to your friend yeah. and your coworker, your colleague." Yeah, he, you're gonna get the approval. Too. That's a good point too. But he kind of gave that tell when they arrested him. When Harry, I think he says something about Carl Rogers killing folks, and he gives a tell on his face, so they know he didn't do it. So that you know, he gave up information just with the look. Yeah, on his face. without saying it. So, yeah. So yeah, a lot of lot of bits and pieces on that case. I mean, Leonard and Norris just keep proving themselves to be class A jerks. Who? Uh, you mean jerk face and scumbag? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I got the name wrong. Jerk face and scumbag. That's right. Don't you dare humanize them ever again. <laughs> Don't ever humanize them. I agree. Well, if we miss something, let us know. All right. We do What's... have one. Diane from Twitter. I asked about anything, really anything they want to talk about. Bosch, episode six, what you had for lunch, anything. <laughs> uh, Diane says she loves Bosch and all the Michael Conley books. Hmm. We need Harry back to rally for us because everybody counts. And we need him pounding the pavement once again. Will he accept the challenge? Well, yes, I think he will in his in a different way, right? By the end of the episode, because we know there's, or the end of the season, we know there's a spinoff coming. So we know Harry's going to be working on something. In some and we're guaranteed that the finale is not going to be Harry dying. Can I give a spoiler? Listen, people, the spinoff, Harry has purchased his own ice cream shop. He's handing out Sundays to little kids. There's a little lollipop stand right by the, the cash register. He wears a cute little hat. It's really, it's really hat. nice. Yeah, it's really nice. And Maddie's there, with her little brother and sister <laughs> from from Reese. <laughs> oh gosh, y'all are talking about the fantasy again? Huh? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, but Diane is. I like Diane. She also did tell us what she had for dinner, Pete. Oh, nice. Oh, oh, by yes. the way, had fried or. 
fried oysters for dinner. Yummy. Oh, wow. Etsy. Wow. That's cool, Diane. Thanks for telling us. I do us. like a good fried oyster. We just, we like hearing from folks. Yeah. What you like about Bosch, what you like for dinner, let us know. So thanks, Diane. Good to hear from you on Twitter. I'm going to check my email real quick. You two don't look like oyster people. I'm not. I'm not. I'm happy for Diane that she likes the oysters. I do not like oysters. I like oysters. I'm fancy. Okay, okay Pete does. All right. Okay. They don't call me a little podcast boy for nothing. <laughs> Touche. You're right. You're right. My this bad. This is true. You bet. All right. So that that's that's it. Thank you, Diane, for participating in our tip line. Now it's on to Officer Pete with some trivia that's probably going to be about the credits. Who knows? Maybe you've got more than one. Hit us up. I do have more than one, but they're both about the credits. Jay all wanted right. to run his right, mouth and say he watches every go. credit of every episode I, I ever. I watched them all. I, okay, I so to the credits of every episode. Yes. So I had two. I had one that was easier and one that's harder, believe it or not. Yeah, um, I got, I got but I don't think you guys are going to get the easy one at this point. So I'm just going to go with the easy one first. Yeah. Okay. So on the credits, who is the construction coordinator? That's you hear the, the clicking? One? You hear the clicking on Jay's mouse? Billy. <laughs> Billy, Billy Thompson. Now, I'm going to answer this for you guys because the name is Michael Fowler. Okay. Now, I thought this was easy because I believe we might have mentioned his name before. It sounded very familiar. Really? Okay. I, listen, we've been doing a lot of podcasts. There's a lot of hours of foot, a lot of hours of footage, people. The name sounded too familiar, and I was like, "Yo, Tracy might know this guy or something." So the name sounds very familiar. So I went with something even harder. I would like to know who was in charge of the post-production sound service. What company? <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, I'm just gonna say I was wrong, but I'm gonna say Red. Red. Yeah, Red Studios. They have special cameras, but that's not sound. Um. All right. How about um? Uh, He's trying. LA, He's scrolling. La Sound Incorporated. <laughs> no, that was that was two two clicks back, Jay. You went two clicks oh, ahead. My bad, my bad. Um. So the answer is actually Technicolor Sound. Well, I've, yeah, I've heard of that. Everything's color sound. That, that's that's a bad question. I, okay, I so we've back to my first question. Wrong, yeah. wrong. <laughs> Michael Fowler, if you, if you any get any wind of this podcast, we want you on the podcast to tell us about construction. What is it? Construction set design? coordinator. Yeah. So coordinator. he's he yeah he's obviously setting up you know building the set. He's in charge of you know something coordinating yeah. something with building the set. So we would like to know what you're building and how you built it and some good stories you have about the cast, I, please. I think that would be cool. All right. Yeah, you're invited. You are officially invited. You're guest on the Everybody Counts podcast. Very cool. Well. Yeah, I never would have gotten those, but... I me neither. If you, <laughs> you asked me that, I would have not gotten it either. <laughs> uh, then again, I forgot to watch the credits today, but anyways. All right, and next up, we have a great interview with Patrick Cady, the director of this episode, as well as three other episodes this season. He's Good got guy. some great behind-the-scenes information and stories for mm -hmm. us, and uh, just keep in mind that it's not isolated to just episode six, so... If you don't want any spoilers of any kind, then come back later when you finish the season. But thank you to Patrick for giving us some time. Enjoy the interview, and we'll be back to talk about episode seven. See ya. Bye. Bye, everybody. Hey there. Hey. 
thank you so much for joining me. This is really exciting. I mean, I I guess up front, how epic does it feel to have directed the series finale (laughs) of Bosch? Yeah, that's a pretty big honor. When I was originally told that I was going to be directing the series finale, it was back when we were working on season six. And so towards the end of season six, I was told that I would be coming back and and I would do this the whole series finale on on season seven. And then COVID happened and everything got shut down and delayed. And I got a call from Peter Jan Brugge saying, look, we're going to go to just two directors because of the COVID of it all. Okay. And I, I thought for sure he was going to say, you know, uh, someone else. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so he's like, so we're thinking of uh, Alex was going to do the first episode. We'll, so we'll have him stay on the odds. And then you were going to do the finale. So we figured you could do the evens. Do you want to do that? And I was like, I, I mean, I said, yeah, I think I said yes, probably too quickly. (laughs) It was such, you know, that's such an honor to get the, to get to do that episode and then to get asked to do half of the season. It was a a pretty big deal. So did Um, you end up doing more episodes since they went to just two? How how many were you going to do? I was going to do just that finale. I was going to just direct the finale. And then then I ended up doing all the evens. So two, four, six, and eight are all that are directed by me. Wow. I know. I was writing down. I mean, I I knew you did the evens and I I was writing it down. It looks like a cheer for Patrick. Two, four, six, eight. (laughs) (laughs) Who do we appreciate? Patrick. (laughs) And and we do appreciate it. I, I just can't get over. The season was so great some of the action was so great. And and that's one of the things, I mean, I know you have great stories, so I hardly even need to, to ask questions. But one thing that was going through my mind is that you had a couple of scenes, at least a couple I can think of that were tight spaces, lots of angles and moving parts. I was thinking about the, the shooter scene in the parking garage and then the, the scene at El Cholo. And I just, I wondered if like sort of my idea of that maybe being more challenging than two people talking in a scene is that is that appropriate you know yeah those I yeah I think that's that's absolutely right I I call those and I think we all do in in the film world we call those set pieces right so you're Mm -hmm. you're going along and then you have this big set piece and the advantage of Bosch is I had Trey Batchelor was my first AD so I've got a Mm -hmm. first AD who's directed an episode of the show and is a director and he's made his own action movie so he really understands what it takes and and then Peter Jan Brugge, his background and, and the amount of preparation he insists that you bring, but also the the kind of understanding he has about how an action scene works. And almost the thing that's really nice and how important it is to have a lead up to an action scene that that lets you know something big is coming. You okay. know, you don't I don't think you have that little sequence of them driving to go take Maddie to the court with Edgar following and that mm-hmm. slight cat and mouse of it, unless yeah. you think something's going to happen. Sure. Um, yeah. It sort of builds some momentum. Yeah. And I there. feel like that really helps. And then, then the key on any action scene is making sure you stay connected to the actors that are the characters that are in that scene. You know, that scene to me was all about Bosch not being to be right by Maddie, you know, having, mm-hmm. having to trust, having to trust that she's going to be okay. And, and then checking in on her and, and just how scary that whole sequence is. And I was so yeah. glad it was Paul Calderon being, you know, 
mm-hmm. as the character with her. He's such a great actor, and he's and and just the sense he can get across, and just a look of yes, you know, being concerned and knowing what's going on, even with what's what Bosch is thinking. And and Titus was so good about throwing those looks. And and the funny thing is, is when you're putting a sequence like that together, you have to make those looks a little bit longer than is natural, so that when you're cutting it together, you have handles on it to to make the cuts exactly right because okay the things to help make an action scene smooth there is room for the editor to pick well i want this look from bosch but it needs to be just a beat longer than it really would be in real life so that the audience glues themselves to that story and titus was really great about doing that that kind of stuff yeah yeah the filmmaking process Mm-hmm. pretty well <laughs> but yeah it's it's a really those sequences you know like that one in the garage you're talking about that's a really unique space it starts as a script and it's roughed in and described in a certain way but then you're you're out in the world peter Yan is out in the world with the locations department and mm-hmm. they're finding real locations that actually fit in near where we're going to be and and they found they found this very interesting garage that had that that ramp from outside coming yeah. down and 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 matching that to something that seems like it could be the real garage entrance that they might use. The actual garage entrance for the courthouse is even funkier than the one that we use, but the one we use photographs really well and it's right there. Okay. And so we're able to do those shots of Edgar coming in after with with the court. If you're from LA, that is okay. the court courthouse building right oh, okay. comes in. Okay. Very um, cool. Which, of course, as you know, we're kind of fanatics about on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so matching all those things together, where the interior garage was at one place, and then all those exteriors were at another place, and then figuring out the geography of you know where they parked the car. You know, you start with nothing, so you're just like, okay, where yeah. do you park the car for that walk to work? Where is the guy hiding? How do you set up that triangle of action? Mm-hmm. And then. And then breaking down how you're going to shoot it during the day because you're down there with, you know, 50 or 100 people and you all got to stay out of each other's shots. And there's three cameras for some of those setups. And yeah. Stuff. Yeah. Um, Were you able to do that in one day? No, that sequence was two days. Okay. okay. Um, yeah, that was two days, including the aftermath dialogue mm-hmm. um, that was down in the in the garage. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what we did is I used this program called Artemis, which is a viewfinder app that you can get for your phone. You can program in the camera you're using and the lenses. So we program in our red camera and our Panavision lenses. And with Trey and Paul Summers, our our DP, I'm going down there and and Parker Clemente, our second AD. Mm -hmm. We're we're all down there in the basement and they're all standing in for the actors and we're shooting the scene almost. Okay. So I, I come up with a shot list. I go through it with Paul and Trey and we all pitch ideas around. We make the shot. They, they help me make the shot list better, mm-hmm. um, which is something I love about collaborating. You know, if it was just my ideas, it'd be okay, but they, they made it all better. Mm-hmm. And then we go down there and we shoot it on our phones. And then we generate a list that the whole crew can see. So the whole crew can kind of see the parts we're getting. And then as you go every now and then one of those parts, you'll realize you don't need because they're way more interesting when it's Paul and Madison and Titus <laughs> than when it's the three of us with our masks on. <laughs> That's funny. So it's much more interesting to watch. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, I don't need that extra shot because this shot's great because yeah. it's them, you know? <laughs> it's our wonderful. Very cool. You said something about comparing it to two scenes with just two actors talking. There's yeah. A, there is a scene in episode two I'm really, really proud of with uh, Lance Reddick and then Alex Fernandez, who is a guest actor, telling him this 
bad news yes. in the diner. Yeah. And that is a quintessential TV scene, right? It's, it's we call them a two-hander. It's two people sitting at a count, you know, sitting at, in, a, in a restaurant, two people sitting in a restaurant just talking about something. Mm-hmm. It's big news and it and it has the potential for being an important, it's a very pivotal scene in the story, but it also has the potential for just you shoot it and you move on, right? You, mm-hmm. you think of it as right. this thing. Yeah. And I just wanted to kind of shout out to those actors, to Alex and Lance. I mean, Lance has been so wonderful to work with and a real joy, and he's always so, super prepared. But we did a little Zoom rehearsal. Okay. So, And it was maybe... I think the total time was 17 minutes. It wasn't long at all, but we went through the scene a couple of times. We had conversations about what they felt their characters, friendships, relationships, you know, how long they knew each other, all of that. And then we started shooting the scene. And then Paul Summers, my cinematographer, he let me, he let us cover it in a way where it's not the easiest for the lighting, but basically you're shooting both people at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so he did that for us, which was huge. And then we did some other coverage as well, of course. And as we were going, I remember going up to Alex and and Lance and saying, we can take as much time as you need between the lines, because if the, if that space is too long, we can always cut it down. But if it doesn't, you know, if, if you feel like you're just rushing through the scene, it it also won't work. Yeah. And it was really sweet because Alex said, this is the first time any director's ever told me I could take as much time as I want, which is surprising to me. I, maybe he was just saying, make me feel good. (laughs) 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 But I felt, I'm really proud of that scene. Um, Yeah. And it, and it just to have that little bit of rehearsal brought about by zoom in the time of COVID and for the, for a character that, you know, Alex, is in only that scene in the whole show. And, and he's such a good actor, you know, as soon as you see him, you're like, Oh, I know him. And we had worked together before when I was a cinematographer on a pilot mm-hmm. and, and then, you know, Lance is a rock star and, and just to have a little scene like that, those scenes as a director are just as exciting sometimes as the, uh, the big action scenes. Sure. Sure. Although the big action scenes require a lot of homework. <laughs> I, I bet. Yeah. A lot of sketching, planning, a lot of, a lot of time there. Uh, well, well, in a scene like that, I mean, it was very effective and very emotional. I mean, you know, all around a great job. You talked about doing those shots with seeing the both of them. Is that or anything else kind of a a trick that you can use to sort of make it more emotional? I mean, I know that sounds like a big ask, but. No, I think there's, there's all kinds of, it's really interesting where you put the camera really dictates how the audience feels and Uh how close they feel to someone. So one of the easiest ways to think about that is when you do someone seeing something, right? So like the scene where Edgar is following the car, Pena, I think, right? He's following him to the parking Mm -hmm. lot. And that's a lot of connective tissue. It's we see him and then we see what he's looking at. Right. And as soon as the actor, as soon as you have that the cast member looking close to the lens or right in the lens, and then you cut to what they're seeing, you get really glued to what what they're feeling and and they don't have to do very much at all. I think another trick is there's a great scene with Jamie. There's a scene at Mama Roo's where Edgar comes in and then someone from the neighborhood played by my friend Uh Jean-Pierre, my friend now, after having done this scene, um, (laughs) comes in and says, oh, you, you... are the one who killed yeah. killed the butcher. And that was a really interesting scene because Jean-Pierre was very emotive in the first couple takes. And I kept asking him to do less and less and less. Okay. And finally we did a take where 
I said, this is really crazy, but I'm going to ask you to go in and do it as dry as possible. Don't, don't do anything. Okay. And he was like, that is so weird, but I'll do it. <laughs> we had kind of been becoming friends as we were shooting the scene. Sure. And, and he did that. And I got to tell you the close-ups that we used for that scene are the, from that take. Okay. And what was so funny was Trey and Bernardo and I are all watching at the little monitors outside. And Jean-Pierre comes out and he's like, that felt so weird. And I was like, it was so amazing. Like we're high-fiving each other by the monitors because yeah, he did such yeah. a great job. And and that's a really interesting, that was something I thought about on that scene, which I maybe hadn't been spending too much time thinking about as a director, which is I often, I think intellectually, I understand that acting is a very weird job, but that night something really clicked about how you're really, as an actor, you're really trusting that the director isn't going to steer you wrong Mm -hmm. And, and Jean-Pierre took a real risk with me to do yeah. it that way. And then I got a really beautiful text from him a couple of days ago, thanking, thanking me for the way the scene worked out. Now it also worked out really great because it looks really good and the shots are really smart. You yes. know, I have a great cinematographer. So, but that, that's one of those scenes where we got a little closer than we normally do on the show. Okay, The shots are a little bit tighter than they normally are on the show. And being that close to Jamie, seeing him react to mm -hmm. Jean-Pierre having said that to him and how uncomfortable it makes him mm -hmm. in the middle of Mama Rue just kind of, you know, getting him tea and stuff. Sure. I thought that scene was a, an interesting combination, but that has that, that that's a trick too of, of okay. directing where shooting them a little bit closer than we normally do on the show, which is smart. Eric Overmeyer really makes a point of us not shooting extreme close-ups all the time. We shoot a lot of medium and medium wides so that when you do go to a close-up, it has some impact. Yeah. Um, like that, that scene. Do you think that the audience member automatic, like being closer, do you think that sort of just in your mind makes that actor or the character seem more vulnerable as you get closer and that plays into it? Yeah, I think it's, I think that vulnerability is an interesting way to think about it. I also feel like we often, I'm curious now how people are going to watch things especially if someone has been working a lot via Zoom, right? There's a certain, uh -huh. we've, we've gotten used to seeing each other almost closer, I think, than we really yeah. normally have conversations uh -huh. with each other. So I do feel like when you get in close like that, a couple other things happen with the lenses where the depth of field falls off and your focus really becomes the person. You do feel a little more attached to them. You can fall into a trap where you think, well, then I'll just do that all the time. I'll just uh -huh. make my show, the whole show, all about, screaming close-ups, you know, super close-ups. And then what you do is you undercut the power of it completely. You have yeah. to, you have to save those shots for the scenes where you're trying to make that point. Mm -hmm. um, otherwise you're in big trouble. Eric yeah. is very good about keeping us honest about that. Which I okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Very cool. Well, thinking a little bit about locations, maybe if we can talk some, maybe about the, the restaurant scene, the El Cholo, but First of all, with the locations, do you have, I know there are locations managers and, and so forth. Do you have any say in what's selected or I don't think that's going to work or I'd like something different? Well, Bosch is an interesting show in that normally for a TV show, you might get shown a couple locations as the director okay. in your early scout days. Mm -hmm. Bosch is such an intricate web of so many locations that mm -hmm. you're being shown what it is you're going to, you're going to work with. Okay. And that's the advantage of. The, the locations department and Peter Jan Brugge working together on, they know the show so well. Mm -hmm. uh, and Peter Jan is essentially, I, I always think of him as like a producing director who doesn't direct so that he can prep 
all this work for the director. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if he would agree with me on that, but I, I feel he, you know, it's just a huge advantage having him, having him in your corner. And so the, oftentimes you go to the locations and you're told you're shooting here. Okay. It's been really rare. And it's mostly as a DP did I have moments where I was like, oh, come on, <laughs> you know, like, because you, it might be you're shooting here and at this time of day. So usually uh-huh. that's the one thing you're always asking as a cinematographer is, well, what time of day am I going to shoot this scene so that, you know, can I get the actors in backlight or what am I going to have to do to make things look okay or yeah. consistent over the few hours we'll be here. So I worry about that less as a director. I'm, I'm certainly trying to stack the deck in uh, our DP's favors for mm-hmm. sure. And, you know, I, I have a little bit of advantage having been a cinematographer that I can, I can think about it that way. But yeah, like the El Cholo sequence was roughly worked out and the script changed to the actual location after we all went there. So Peter Jan showed us what he was thinking. And then we went back for another day and kind of worked some stuff out. And then we went with Michael Connolly because it was his script, mm-hmm. that final script he wrote. Yeah. And, uh, and we went through it again and showed him what we were thinking and made sure it worked for him. And then there were a couple small moments where it was like, oh, well, what about like even just how people get in and out of the Jeep, like getting out of the back, but then- well, do you put him in to the, you throw the guy in the back or do you throw him through the door? And of course through the door works better, but we tested both with, with Alex Daniels or stunt coordinator and, and you're all working on this big, big problem. And El Cholo was absolutely a huge undertaking of a lot of night work at the end of the schedule. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, and the crew was really great. And we took very short breaks for both new year's and the Christmas break. We only took four days off because we were really afraid if we took a, you know, two weeks off the testing back Mm -hmm. in the chance that someone might come down with COVID. So we stayed on point. We really kept driving, but that last, that last few days of overnights and, and I have a full, it's a radio program, so it doesn't really matter. But I have a full book, a prep book that we made just of El Cholo. It's a three-ring binder, and it's got all these oh, wow. shots, and they're all broken out by color code to which day they are. And then we broke them down in the sequence. We're going to shoot them because your your time management is just crucial. And we're all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> it's easy when you're seeing it cut together, like, oh, they're on the roof, and they're inside this other building looking at this <laughs> other building, and then this guy's on that roof looking over there it all starts as nothing. <laughs> right. Right. And you probably, you don't necessarily shoot the sequence in order. Oh, not right? even close. Yeah. Not even close. Okay. So you do some sequences. It's always helpful with anything that involves um, any kind of stunts. You do some sequences as order as you can, mm-hmm. but because this wasn't a, so like the parking garage we did in, in, chunks roughly in order because okay. once you blow out a window and you're happy with that take you leave that window alone so it matches mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. stuff like that for el cholo it was more about shooting inside when there was still some daylight so we didn't have to do everything at, at full night so okay we'd work inside the restaurant the first two days we were there we worked inside the restaurant and then i think the last day we were there we were kind of mm-hmm. stuck with having to be outside in a full night because we oh, okay. finished up all the interior mm-hmm. the interior work <laughs> yeah, that was quite a sequence. And and it's funny yeah. because there's no big fight or anything, you know, the the way that sequence works, it has to have a lot of high energy and, and be very exciting, but there's no gunfire or anything, you know, it doesn't, right. the way it, the way it works is it's, you're just seeing Bosch, Bosch is a character just driving and driving to, to try to get justice. Yeah. Yeah. And the anticipation of, you know, 
what, how yeah. he's going to get out and he keeps running into these obstacles. I was watching it just before we talked. It's really, really good. And, and oh, a very okay. exciting sequence. <laughs> Great. <Very exciting. laughs> it worked. <laughs> yes, it worked. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. You I'm certainly to... proud of it. It's yeah. You will. You should be. Oh my. Well, Trey Batchelor, you know, <laughs> our first AD, he's, he's the one driving that, that okay. ship by the time we get to the, the set day, we've done all this prep work together then he's really the one that's got to line up. Okay. We need police officers blocking off this chunk of traffic so we can around the corner of this block and everyone needs right. to be out of our way. You know, like the amount of stuff that he's lining up to make happen is mm-hmm. astronomical. And, and I, I think I, I would be out of my mind to say it wasn't possible without him and Paul Summers basically, you know, pulling off miracles every you know hour or so. <laughs> it was just well, crazy. Paul was lighting stuff so beautifully and with so few things as a, as a fellow cinematographer, I was really impressed with how it looked and how he got the, got it to look the way it did. Mm-hmm. We waited on him very, very little. It was, it was unbelievable. It's really fast. Well, that's your squad there, Paul and Trey. You've, you've worked with them so well for so long, right? Yeah, it was really great. Yeah, it was really, that's really cool. great. Well, are you going to be working on the spinoff? Can we ask that? Uh, you can, and I am. So I start, I start scouting locations for episode two on Friday. So day after tomorrow, I start scouting episode, uh, episode two locations. I'm going to do episodes two and four. Okay. I'm very excited. Zetna Fuentes, uh, an amazing director who's we've had on Bosch before she's doing the pilot, Mm -hmm. uh, and they're in the middle of shooting that right now. And yeah, I'm excited. The scripts are good. So. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Everyone's everyone's chomping at the bit to learn yeah. more about it. So yeah, <laughs> brand new. I mean, that's the thing, you know, you love Bosch, you know, season after season, but this, we don't know as much, you know, so it's like, we just feel certain we're going to love it, but we don't know what we're going to love yet. You know? Oh yeah. I, I, I think we'll, you're, we're going to be okay. I think you're going to like it. <laughs> <laughs> not, I'm not worried at all. And I'm, I'm really excited that you're going to be on it. So me too. I I'm very, I'm very happy to be back. Did anything with the COVID precautions? I mean, obviously it impacted the way you work, but is there anything you wanted to share that stood out to? Well, it's interesting. It kind of, it it hurt us. COVID hurt, the COVID precautions hurt us less than I imagined. Okay. In that you're so efficient and you're focused so much on your work that the COVID of it all, while being a complete pain in the butt, also didn't kind of keeps you focused extra. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because, because there's, there's more of a sense of like, okay, we're getting ready to roll. We need the, or, you know, we're moving on from this one stage of work to this other stage of work. Mm-hmm. We need the the B team that can only be there when the actors aren't there. They need to now leave. So we have to make sure we have all our ducks in a row. So we're not mm-hmm. calling any of that crew back in for any lighting adjustments and things. So you just have to be really, really prepared. The better you are about knowing what the next shot is going to be, the more efficient that all works. And it just puts that extra pressure on you to, to do that. But that show works based on that thought anyway, because of, you know, like just the idea that we're going to okay, well, we're going to do three locations. We call that Tuesday, <laughs> you know, like the show is on its feet so much. It did create a couple things that actually ended up helping us out in a way I feel. So the, okay. in that final sequence from the El Cholo sequence, when they're in the Jeep and it's, and it's rushing back to the precinct. Yeah. That feels that way because we did something we've never done before. We really wanted a high energy in the car with them feeling, Mm -hmm. but to do that, we couldn't, you can't be in the car with the actors. The actors don't have their masks on and and you can't have an operator in the car with them. Even if the operator's masked up, it's just, Oh, okay. It's against the 
protocols. Okay. Unless, unless you take all the doors off the car. Okay. <laughs> put it and put it on a trailer. Yeah. And then that operator isn't actually in the car and there's all this airflow going around. Now right. our poor sound department is, <laughs> you know, luckily and the end product, you can't tell, but we did a bunch of those shots of that, that sequence, the Jeep on a, on a trailer with the doors pulled off and it allowed wow. us to get angles that we normally haven't seen on the show okay. and a sense of urgency that I don't think, you know, normally our car work is, a, is done a certain way and the shots are locked off. The other contraption we use that's also for cars is normally we would do handheld in the car sometimes, but we went to these remote heads that fit inside the car and the passenger seat. And so we have a couple nice shots and it's simple stuff, but it's like uh, we're on the street and then we pan to the people. And then from the front seat mm -hmm. to the back seat, that kind of stuff, we did something with La Mayorista and uh, using that technology. And, and that was all because we couldn't do it uh, the way we normally do. So it ended up opening up a couple of things because the piece of equipment that we had to use because of COVID was there. Right. Okay. Um, I know that it's an extra expense. The other thing that the code really made makes you aware of, which as a filmmaker, you should be aware of all the time anyway, is trying to keep the hours down because mm -hmm. people who have worked 12 hours, that's plenty. And yeah. the, the fact that the film business thinks that's quote unquote normal yeah. <laughs> is a little nutty. Mm -hmm. and, and, and any day you go over it is, is not helpful. Right. And, and it's diminishing returns on your productivity too, but the, the COVID was like an extra step of, okay, well, let's do our best to yeah. stay on time. Did you have to adjust any scenes from the writing or anything that with the number of people involved, was that an issue? There was a, uh, I think the courtroom, the early courtroom scenes probably would have been more of a, a thrall of people in the gallery. Okay. And we kind of shot our way around it so that hopefully mm -hmm. you don't notice any difference. Mm -hmm. uh, and you do feel like there's a lot of people there, but yeah. we did that by kind of going a little bit longer lens through groups of people who are, they're spaced apart a little more than they normally would be okay. for that kind of, I guess those, that, that type of that stage in the hearing process, when there's lots of people coming in and out, usually the galleries are pretty full of mm -hmm. families and friends of everyone who's, who's coming up to find out if what they're sent sentencing or what right. the next step in the trials are going to be. Yeah. And you, did you focus, it seemed like you focused on a certain more of a corner of the yeah. courtroom is that right yeah yeah exactly right so now you're not having to require enough yeah. uh background folks to fill that entire gallery because yeah. then what are you doing where are you putting them in between shooting the scenes how are you transporting sure. them from their crew parking to there all those kinds of things yeah that was a crazy thing was the amount of extra space we needed just to have lunch because oh. you're eating lunch on either end of an eight foot long table Wow. <laughs> so yeah. Far enough away from each other mm -hmm. in open air tents. So it was a, that was a whole logistics. I mean, they really, everyone really pulled it off. It was pretty impressive to see, but giant circus style tents that yeah. the, the sides removed so that air is flowing through. And stuff. sure. Speaking of the air, I was wondering with shooting a little later in the year than y'all normally do, does the cooler weather, does it, does it get much cooler in LA? Does it have any impact on it's great. And... I'll take it. Okay. <laughs> uh, compared to the previous season, I, I don't know if you remember my episode had a, a chase sequence in a, um, a the nursery. Lands. Yeah. The lands yeah. Place, yes. And it was so hot that day. Yeah. I, mean, I think it was maybe 110 when we were shooting that scene. And, you know, the poor actors are stuck in the wardrobe they have to be in. Right. Mm -hmm. So 
we're all walking around in our REI kind of wicking shirts and everything yeah. to mitigate it, but the actors are not. So I feel like, I always feel like a little bit later in the, the year, the light's a little nicer because the sun's a little lower. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, certainly any cooler days I think are usually appreciated. I guess you get more light through the trees and everything too. Yeah, I mean, exactly. That's just a lot. I guess it, it just hangs a, a little lower. Yeah. yeah. Even at noon, it's a little lower in the sky than it is uh-huh. at a different time okay. of year. Okay. Well, d- this is just kind of a silly question. Would you, is there anyone that you would say, anyone I, I you mean, have to reel in for being a little silly or? Well, I think maybe yeah. that's the other thing that the COVID did. There's less, there's less like horsing around because there's this whole rhythm of when the actors can actually be on set, when they can take off their their personal protective stuff. Mm -hmm. I feel like that kind of, that kind of distraction doesn't happen as much in the COVID situation because you're so aware of what's going on. The one thing that we did have to deal with and and we knew it, Trey and I knew it was going to be an issue was the goodbyes. So scheduling those final weeks in such a way so, you know, when we shoot certain scenes, we can say goodbye to the cast members the way that they have earned over seven years Sure. without it hurting our schedule too much. So trying to schedule big final scenes for people at the last scene of the day so that we can, we can give them a send off and we would bring in a monitor and show highlights of the whole seven years they'd been on yeah. the show. Oh, that's cool. They would, they would talk to the you know, the crew and their fellow cast members, you know, just everyone getting a chance to say goodbye. Yeah. The last day in the precinct was, was tricky. And I don't, I don't think we, I'm trying to remember if we had to do a company move to something after the last shot there. I think we did, which is why it was a tricky thing to do because as soon as we were leaving the precinct, of course, mm-hmm. everyone needed to get their photos in the precinct. And Michael Connolly gave Titus a gift of the homicide, yeah. the hand carved homicide yeah. sign which is the real one that used to be in Hollywood. Okay. The the detective who made those signs made, made ones for us, but I think that one was the original. The original. Okay. And so, you know, and that has to happen. You, you want to have that time to say goodbye to everyone. So you just have to schedule, schedule around for it. Yeah. I would, I mean, in all honesty, I'd have to say the person who, gives me the most trouble is myself. (laughs) (laughs) Given the opportunity, I will over-engineer anything. (laughs) Okay. That's funny. That's funny. I can overthink a whole bunch of stuff. That's pretty easy to do. (laughs) Yeah. Well, how do you handle the, I mean, there's a lot of pressure with directing, but at the same time, I like, do you get energized with it and don't think about that stress or does that stress kind of drive you or do you even feel like this weight on you as director. Yeah, I do feel it's a big responsibility. It's really, really similar on that responsibility level as being a cinematographer on a show. As a cinematographer, you're acting as the concierge to the directors who are coming in. So you're the the consistent thing that's helping glue the episodes together Mm -hmm. um, through the look and approach that you know that the showrunner likes that the show is about. Okay. And at the same time, you're you have to invite collaboration from the directors and, and honor what the directors want to do with their episode. Right. And, and the directors are being hired for a reason. They've been hired because of their previous work. So you can't tell a director, no, we don't do it that way. Even though there are times you essentially have to say like, okay, well, that is not a shot we would normally do on this show. And I think this is the reason it might become a problem. Let's make sure we cover ourselves 
you know, because the director, as a director, you, you put an edit together and then, then it's out of your hands. It goes Mm -hmm. back. It's a very interesting job directing television because it's so collaborative because you're it's, I feel television is really a writer's medium. It's the Mm -hmm. showrunner is really dictating the, the feel of the show and the overall arc. And then you have to work really intimately with the other players who are consistently on the show, especially if you're only going to do an episode or two. So I, I don't know if that, that the pressure to do, to take care of the show in a way is there as a cinematographer. It is a, okay. you have to do more homework as mm-hmm. a director to have the sense of being calm and everything's going to be fine. The only way I know how to do it is by having done all the homework. So I know what it is I hope to get done. And okay. then you have to be ready to throw it all away when a better idea shows up. Mm-hmm. So I don't even remember what the scene was, but there was some little scene where I had thought the blocking was going to be a certain way. And then we were, you know, we start the rehearsals by just reading the dialogue, but it was Jamie and Titus. And so they were, mm-hmm. they were kind of already in their spots and they just did it a certain way. And I think we finished the rehearsal and Titus was like, well, what, what were you thinking? I'm like, well, I was thinking of something completely different, but what you just did feels really great. And I think we can cover it this, you know, a different way. Okay. And and that's what we did. It just like, they, they know the characters more intimately than anyone else. Mm-hmm. And if it feels right for them to do it a certain way, then it's beholden on me to say, okay, well, let's do that. To and, try it. Yeah. Yeah. And, okay. and, and all the prep really is helping you focus in on what are the key elements of the scene that you really have to get across you know, if it's a scene of five people, but one person that has one line is really the pivotal part of the scene, mm-hmm. you're going to cover it a different way than if it's the person who's talking the most. Okay. Um, and yeah, certainly when I definitely, I start to panic and get upset when I see that we're falling behind on a day and that can okay. happen really quickly. You know, I'm one sure. thing, one thing can go wrong and you can be behind. Yeah. And then I start, I do start feeling, feeling that extra pressure and that's when you you start leaning on the friends around you yeah, <laughs> and say, yeah. okay, how behind are we? Do you think it's a big problem? If it is a big problem, let, let's figure out some way to get the next scene in, in fewer shots, you know, because there's all these mechanics, you're juggling all the mechanics of how, what it takes yeah. to get the scene. And if anything could happen, you know, someone could spill a soda on their wardrobe and you, you know, yeah. and you lose 10 minutes as they go yeah. change. See, it's all, all, it, it's all going to happen for there right, to be a right. movie. I, I mean, filmmaking is such a weird thing to do. You're you're trying to fake reality at such a believable <laughs> level. Yeah. And it's all from scratch. So I just love all the tasks required to make that happen. And then you have to be really good about picking which battles to have and not have when you see something that maybe doesn't feel right to you. But if it's not bothering anyone else, then maybe it's not not a battle worth having or... If you know, well, I need this one shot to be exactly this one way mm-hmm. or all the other shots we've already shot today don't cut together well, then you have to fight to get that one, right. that one angle. Yeah. A lot of decisions on the fly, even though you've done all that homework and all that. Yeah. It's easier to make them on the fly, though, if you've if you've done the homework. Yeah. Oh, sure. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm sure my my nightmare would be showing up and being handed the script and never having seen the script before and. I don't know. There would be something freeing about it too, I guess. Of, of but yeah. you know, but showing up and having everyone go, okay, well, what are we doing next? And not having any idea. That's that's the one thing you don't want to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, don't don't do that. Well, did you take something from the set with I you? I did not. Trey oversaw this remarkable raft gift, which is up 
on the wall here, which is a, a photo of me directing Jamie and Titus in the precinct. Oh, and cool. he had everyone sign it. It's it's got oh, a big white wow. photo around it. He had everyone sign it. And that's um, awesome. It was just such a sweet and he gave I he gave it to me on our last after we had wrapped the whole show. Yeah. We're all standing in a parking garage drinking champagne and yeah and toasting everyone. And it was after shooting. And we shot the final we shot the final scene that's in the entire season. We shot it last and we purposely figured okay. out a way to do that. Well, that's cool that you planned it that way to, to finish it out that way. Yeah, really cool. but that was really nice. They did it that way. And and Henrik was there and that's I threw him in that final scene. I don't know if you noticed. Oh that. yeah, I did. I did. Yeah. We, I, I had an interview with him and that was my first question. So tell me about that cameo, how that comes together. <laughs> he seems to enjoy those whenever I ask. He's great. Him. I mean, nothing can top drunk Santa. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> he's done it all now. So speaking of sort of a, a bit of a cameo, whose decision was it to have Agent Needy, Mr. Bernardo yeah. in that shot? So good, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I do not remember who came up with that first. It might've been Trey huh? or it might've been written in right away from the first time I got handed the script, but uh, Tom did such a good job with that, that he line, did. the look of disgust on his face yeah, is so like, perfect. Just keep going. Yeah. And that scene is so crucial. Mm -hmm. um, it is. That was yeah. a tricky, that was a tricky one. Okay. We're going to see the entire cast and we're all going to be on a sidewalk and then this really mm -hmm. big thing's going to happen. Let's figure out how that looks. <laughs> yeah. And was that pretty late at night or earlier in the night when you did that? I think when, I, I'm trying to remember when we wrapped, I feel like we wrapped around midnight or one. I don't think okay. we went super, super okay. late. The rest of the work that day was day work. So okay. yeah, I think we shot, I think that same day we shot the scene with Bosch going up to the guy uh, hosing out his car. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> lovely scene which is a great scene <laughs> it was good well i've asked the cast and, and michael and henrik all these questions so i don't know if you're a coffee drinker at all but we've been yeah. asking okay we've been asking each interview if budget were not a concern and this is you patrick your decision if budget was not a concern how would you solve the horrible coffee problem at hollywood division oh you'd have a barista there Okay, bring bring in a barista. Okay, I think right. so. I do this crazy thing where I make Italian style stove on the stovetop espresso in the morning. Okay, and then I bring it in a really good little thermos, uh -huh. and then I bring little espresso sized camper cups. Nice. They're all washed, and I put them all in a bag. And then when I have after the first shot is off, after we've gotten the first shot, I don't have uh -huh. any coffee until then because. Okay crew would kill me because <laughs> I'm hyper enough as it is. And, and then I, whoever's around me, I offer them coffee. And so we all have a little, uh, very civilized, uh, espresso and a little camper cup. And that's become, and we did it even through COVID, you know, I would just open the bag and everyone would gingerly pull their cup out their cup. Yep. And we'd all separate and have our little sips of espresso. Yeah. So that's, I like it. It's funny. Everybody's had a completely different answer to that question. It's oh, funny. Yeah. It's, what it's, was, yeah. uh, what was, was Titus's death wish coffee? Was that yeah, the answer? Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. But he said Grand. that he, there would have to be some sort of rationing or something. Cause he said he wouldn't want that much caffeine going through the police force, you know, exactly. <laughs> that would be dangerous. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he had to put a little, uh, a little limit on it, but yeah. 
That was I cool. was working in Saratoga Springs just a, uh, last month. And uh, on one of our last days, we, we got the Death Wish truck and I went over and I was like, hey, I'm friends with Titus Walker. And they're like, we love him. <laughs> <laughs> I sent Titus a photo of me with the, the truck, the, the guys from the truck. <laughs> That's very cool. Uh, I don't, I don't go near it. Cause I'm a, I, it's funny. I have a bag here at the house and I, and uh-huh. it's a very rare usage. I, you know, I, uh, I'm pretty sensitive. I'm sensitive enough to the coffee as it is. Okay. So special I, occasion. Uh, coffee. Yeah. When I was a DP, there was this, this friend of mine would say, who gave Patrick coffee? And now my daughter says it to me if I'm oh, that's awesome. around the house. She's like, who gave dad coffee <laughs> that's great that's great i love it well everybody just loves your stories and loves listening to you on the podcast so thanks for doing it oh again. i'm glad um and, i hope i didn't ramble too much oh no i love it it's I, i'm a captive audience and and so is everyone else it's it's stuff we don't hear much about you know oh so that's interesting a, the mechanics of it all i guess yeah for sure and we're going to keep that's... going with this with the spinoff so Yay. we'll probably be bugging you again. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I'm happy to do it. You ask great questions. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, I appreciate Tracy. it. I really appreciate it. And we'll be in touch some more. Excellent. Take thank care. you so much for uh, watching all the shows. Oh yeah. Over and over and over <laughs> many times. <laughs> Can't get enough. Have a wonderful Bye. night. Okay. You too. Bye.